Hey, what's going on? You are listening to Tags Podcast, aka Talk About Gay Sex. That's right. I'm your host, Steve V. Rodriguez. And on episode 173, y'all, happy gay pride. And in celebration of gay pride this year, I wanted to continue the necessary evolving conversation of race and sexuality that I've started and want to continue and will continue to for some time in, throughout uh, this podcast whenever it's I can. And on this episode, you are in for a treat. You can also watch this episode on our YouTube channel as I did Zoom video calls with my guests on this episode. A little bit later, you're going to hear from two of my co-host, Cody Maurice Doggett, who is my co-host on Sex with Stevie, alongside a guest who's been on the show before, Corey Harmon. And the two and I are going to talk about their upbringing, how they've experienced racial discrimination, racial bias, how it's affected their careers, and of course, relationships. And uh, I really enjoyed that conversation with the two of them. You can always get extra special sexy content like my dark and dirty after show when you consider to become and support Tag's podcast by going to our Patreon page, which is a subscription-based platform. And you can come in at various tiers and each tier gives you extra special sexy perks like the dark and dirty after show and so much more. I'm continuing sharing with you some of my past sexcapades on there on the dark and dirty after show. So tune into that. Go to patreon.com forward slash talk about gay sex. Well, my first interview to grace this conversation, ever going ongoing important conversation about race and sexuality is none other than choreography director Ronnie, Ronnie Reddick, who is going to be talking about his own experiences as a professional dancer, choreographer, director, but also his work with the trans community. I'm really excited today for my first guest or one of my guests here today. He's a professional choreographer and dancer and the choreographer and director of Asia SF out in San Francisco and the brand new Asia SF Palm Springs. Ronnie Reddick, welcome to Tag's podcast. Thanks for doing the show. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be back. Absolutely, absolutely. You look fabulous. And as I was saying offline, you're giving a little bit of Lenny Kravitz and <laughs> I'm going with it. <laughs> um, so this episode and what I really wanted to, what I'm doing with all my interviews right now is talking about race and sexuality. It's Gay Pride Month. Happy Pride to begin with. Happy Juneteenth. All of that. Happy Juneteenth. Yeah. That, you know, I don't know that all of us under uh, really understood what that actually meant. And I'm so glad that given everything that's going on, Black Lives Matters, that we're all, all of us are understanding what that pivotal moment really meant. And it was the yeah. end of slavery, correct? Slavery. Yeah. The freedom yeah. of people. Yeah. You know, in, in Mexican culture, we've, we have, we, oftentimes we celebrate Cinco de Mayo and oftentimes people are a little bit confused because people in Mexico are like, they don't really understand it, but it really was a pivotal turning point uh, in the Spanish 
war that was the turning point when finally there was uh, a turning point for Mexicans. And so that's why we celebrate that too. And I love that this is coming out. I think education is everything. I really wanted to get into this really quickly with you because as a professional choreographer and dancer, and we're gonna get into all of your work in a second here, but one of the things I wanted to ask you was, as a dancer, when you were first going out for castings as a dancer, did you experience ever um, any sort of racial bias, racial discrimination based on the color of your skin? And how did that make you feel? Um, I did, actually. Um, and I, I always tell the one story that happened. Um, I did a casting for Macy's. Um, many years ago and it was for uh a levi's thing it was a live show and they auditioned dancers and you know they were going to put us all in levi's and do this whole live show um and i i know i did well i probably outdanced almost at least half the dancers in the room i know i did because it was just one of those moments where you know you do a good audition everything's perfect and all my friends and all my colleagues that were with me all got chosen. Um, and they were all either light-skinned, very, very light-skinned, or white. And I went to the choreographer, I won't mention names, but I went to her afterwards. And I said, like, what can I do? I thought maybe, you know, how can I improve myself? You know, what, what can I do to be better? Um, did I do something wrong? Um, how old are you at this age? this time frame uh, just to give us a reference point i want to say i was early or mid to late 20s okay because i didn't start dancing until i was like 25. so i was 25 26 when i started dancing i mean so everything happened really quickly and two years later i was working professional i mean everything happened really quick um but yeah so i went to her and i asked her i said so what could i do better to be better next time you know and she took a pause and it was a long pause and I thought that was kind of strange. And then she looked at me and she goes, well, Macy's doesn't hire dark-skinned blacks. And I, I mean, I was kind of taken aback because I, I, I grew up in San Francisco, so there wasn't a lot of uh, obvious racism. So I didn't really see it. I didn't grow up with it. So that was the first time in my head I was like, what, what do you mean by that? Like, I, you know, I know I'm brown-skinned, but my color had never mattered before. So I, I didn't really understand it. And I really, I left the casting kind of puzzled, but then two days later, I get a call from my agent and she said, you've been booked for the Levi's campaign. You're the face of Levi for this campaign. And they're, they're doing a big production, you know, at the end of the week. So I was like, but I was just told that they didn't hire, you know, <laughs> brown skinned people. Like everybody was light skinned. And I was thought, so what you're telling us is you ended up getting casted anyways. I ended up getting casted anyway. Not only, I didn't have to do the live show. I'm sure I was paid a lot more because mm -hmm. I ended up going into the studio shooting um, film that was shown on the wall behind the live show. So it was my face and my body dancing while the live show was going on. It was my face and my body that was being featured behind them on the big screen. Oh, so I see. I, I was the actual feature. Wow. So, Without, it, was, so, so it ended up 
thing, her, it was all her thing, not Macy's. It wasn't Levi's, it wasn't Macy's. It was, it was the actual choreographer. And that's when I realized that she discriminated against me because of my skin color. And I thought, so, but that was the only time that I've ever experienced something that blatant, like in my face where somebody told me, you're too dark. What's interesting, and I'm jumping around and it just came to my head, it's not even in my notes, is you and I have had a long history with our dear, dear friend, um, producer, ex director, extraordinaire, owner of AJSF, Larry Hashbarger with Macy's and Macy's Passport. And I distinctly remember when I was and my sister shooting a behind the scenes special kind of almost in the early stages of reality TV, we were kind of behind the scenes and you were choreographing back then, I remember. And did you even make that connection of how now you're on the other side of it working? Um, and what did that mean for you to now be, I don't know if you were part of the casting process, but you were definitely a part of creating a, the whole movement of what Passport was at that moment when I'm talking well, about. The, the, the Macy's segments that I choreographed, I actually, when there were featured dancers, I did the casting for those dancers. Um, uh, the models were already in the show, so I didn't have any say in what models I used. I just used whatever models they gave me. Um, but no, I, I've never, ever, working in the Bay Area, experienced that, that sort of blatant racism again. That was my first and only time. And because of that, it, it hasn't stayed with me. Like, I don't go in with this assumption someone's going to look at my skin color and, and judge me. I don't, I don't do that. I, I wasn't raised like that. I know a lot of people, you know, we talk about the N-word. Those, those things don't have power with me because I, did, I didn't grow up like that. So I didn't get called that. If I did get called it, it, I didn't understand the word, so it didn't mean anything. And I understand what people mean when they say it, but we give those words power by letting them affect us. Otherwise, one ear and out the other, it, it doesn't affect me. And I've been called that as an adult, you know, years later. I mean, just randomly people will say the, that word, but it doesn't affect, it doesn't have power for me. And I know a lot of my friends get very offended and want to fight and want to, you know, like what, what you, it, it doesn't, because I know I'm not that. So I guess it, it never affected me like that. So we need to definitely address, and I didn't think about it the last time we tried to do this interview is that the Bay area, San Francisco Bay area, where I grew up as well, I live in New York now, but <laughs> there is so much of what you're talking about. I think that I do feel in, in many ways, and, and there's definitely critiques on the Bay Area, we could go on and on, yeah. but one of the things that I definitely did learn a lot was inclusion and a lot less. Do you credit growing up in the Bay Area for a lot of, of the, your mentality on what you just expressed? I do. I mean, we, we have a really lucky we're very blessed in, in san francisco i think because i travel all around the world i've worked and i've i always want to go home i always want to go back to san francisco i don't care how good of a time i'm having i could be on an island in the caribbean caribbean and sitting out in hawaii or in japan or i lived in korea for a little bit on tour with an artist i always want to go back to san francisco there's just a comfort there um I always tell people you can always find 
a community in San Francisco that you can relate to. Um, so you can just be yourself. You don't have to kind of like when I'm in Miami, I feel like if you don't fit in with a group or if you don't, you don't speak Spanish or you don't do this or you don't do, you're out. You're not part of right. this. You know, yeah. you feel very alienated and New York can be the same thing. You know, yeah. it's a, it's a bubble. If you don't have a community of people that you know, yeah. you're on the out. But San Francisco is not like that. You can be sitting somewhere and people will come up and go, Hey, you by yourself, you know, you want to, we're going to, it's just really easy. And I know it's changed since you and I were growing up. Yeah. People are coming from other places now. So with tech being so big, it's not the same city. But back then, it was gay, straight, black, white. It, it was comfortable. You know, we went to school with everybody. Everybody kind of got along. There wasn't a lot of segregation or separations. And, you know, there wasn't a black and white, Asian, black, Mexican. It wasn't that. It was just us. We were just there doing our thing. So I credit the city for that. And San Francisco did a good job, in, I think, in raising some of us so well i definitely want to get into casting for asia sf the ladies of asia the trans community your work with the trans community in just a second but i know personally offline you and i have talked we had a call a couple weeks ago where we were just sharing our stories and one of the things that you and i were sharing was when in the 90s late 80s early 90s when you and i were hanging out going to places like the box you did share with me offline that you did feel when you were going out in the gay community an otherness. And then yeah. correct me if I'm wrong, but I felt like what you were stating was if you were to go to some of the bigger clubs at the time, whether it be Universe or I'm forgetting some of the big ones, um, but you Dude, could Fox, be. Club the, Universe, uh, the Oasis used to do a big party. Yes. Uh, there was DVA, End Up. You know, <laughs> oh yeah, ten place. fifteen Folsom, of course. Yeah, back today the there was Trocadero, there was yep. the Palladium. You know, I mean, there were we had some cool spots, but mm -hmm. but no, I, I understand where you're going, and, and yeah, and I and I did I, in the gay community specifically. I did feel very invisible because I wasn't a body. Um, I was this this very lean dancer bod, you know, African American kid who dressed to the nine i was always decked out honey i know <laughs> but i wasn't um i wasn't naked you know i wasn't yeah. in in a g-string or, or or just booty shorts and and a chain link harness and you know but i would wear collars and i would do hats and i would and i was a dancer so i mean i'm kicking to my head and triple spins on a box and hitting walls and all these accents and I mean, I was working it out, but I, I didn't learn um, till later. I had a few people come up to me and, you know, they would always say, you're amazing. And I would be like, well, I don't get tipped like the other guys. They're like, because you are the real deal. They would be like, you are dancing. You know, we tip them because they, we know why they up there, you know, but, you know, they would say they would watch me and they were impressed with just the quality of my talent. And so I realized, well, maybe that's why people were intimidated to come up and tip me is because I was, but when I was, when I'd come off the box, I'd stand there at the bar just chilling. I don't even drink, but I would stand there having a ginger ale or a soda and nobody would speak to me. Nobody would come up to me. I wasn't, I wasn't approached. Um, so, you know, you feel invisible. You feel like, 
God, you know, I guess I'm not as good looking as some of these other guys, but I always blamed it on my body. I was like, I didn't have all those muscles, you know? So I was like, you know, I think now I consider myself sexy. Sexy to me is an attitude, but you know, you grow into that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and back then, you know, I didn't know any better. So I was trying, if it wasn't obvious, it was like, oh, I guess I'm not. <laughs> I mean, I distinctly remember that time. And I remember Jim's, uh, my college buddy and I were so excited to come out of college to go to work out at Gold's Gym or World Gym. Yeah. And it was a very like muscular um time frame to be the more muscular you were to this day that my college buddy Francisco and I he wouldn't mind me calling him out on this still kind of have that like mentality that we're always having to like pick up a weight or whatever but I know it is what it is but um but I hear what you're saying and the invisibility and do you think that a lot of that has changed since that period that you were talking about the invisibility I think so to a certain extent. Um, and I'm talking about the gay community. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think so. San Francisco is still very much a gay white city. I mean, it is what it is. Um, there's definitely a lot more color that is obvious. And these kids want to be seen. So they're, you know, the, the twinks that are running around and showing out. And it's a, it's a different time now. So you have people that, you know, there's always going to be bodies around because I think it's kind of gay culture to to do all of that. Sure. But I, I don't think it's necessary now. Like I get more attention now and I get more attention from people 18 to 27, <laughs> which is weird. <laughs> um, but they seem more attracted to the person. And I think it's the confidence you exude. It has nothing to do I was just going to say confidence, Ronnie. Yeah, I don't think it has anything to do with... Um, my physique anymore you know yeah even though i think i look all right i'm not like you know. i think you look more than all right <laughs> well i appreciate that but i mean i know who i am yeah so so now when i walk around i walk around like i'm enough and not question i don't question anymore whether or not you know you think i'm attractive that doesn't matter so much i dress for me um you know, I don't walk around. I don't even wear shorts usually. Even if I'm at the beach, I mean, I may put on some swim trunks. But I don't, I'm not that sort of person. I I put on a pair of linen khakis and a, a linen shirt. And I, I just like feeling good. So clothes make me feel good. And I love fashion, too. I actually started in fashion before I started dancing. So okay, back to AGSF a little bit, you know, what I do. Well, in the time I have you here, we've got to talk about you're the director, choreographer of creative artist, creative artist, yeah. creative director. Yeah, uh, creative director. I've been doing lighting and now I've been, you know, I'm upgrade, you know, so I'm wardrobe, lighting, choreography, staging, look, psychology. Casting. Yeah, casting. Yeah, <laughs> psychology. Of let me just tell people real quick of Asia SF. Um, how many years has Asia SF been around with the ladies of Asia transgender community, the restaurant, the quintessential? How many years? Twenty-two years, and I've 20... been there since uh, six months after they opened. I came in. So currently, you're in Palm Springs right now, which is the spot yeah, of the brand up. new 
Asia stuff, Palm Springs is burning up, and I, I, I'm, I've got like another. Clothes, you'll know why. <laughs> we can't tell. You look gorgeous. Um, I'm going to use my time wisely here and ask my questions very spot on here, right? right. Um, so you are at the spot of or near where Asia SF Palm Springs is about to debut. I know you tried to open up earlier this year, um, and after COVID, you're opening up. At what I understand, but I really just want to ask you, working because I think it's so important on this show, Tags Podcast. Uh, it's generally a, a show about gay men, gay sexuality, but I think it's we share an acronym, LGBTQ. And I think it's really amazing when we can really learn about the other letter in our acronym that sometimes we don't really know enough of. And as right. a black man, as a black director, uh, a choreographer working, just can you give us a few words of what's been your experience working with the trans community? Yeah, um, it's, it's actually been a learning curve for me because I came in as a choreographer knowing what I ask of my talent, um, knowing kind of how I can guide and direct them. And the girls have taught me a lot. Some of it good, some of it bad. Some of it for me is a retraining of their, their thoughts, like, you know, how to kind of come into situation. Like, you know, a lot of the girls come in and they're worried about their shoulders or, or they're worried that the movement is too masculine or, you know, or is this, but um, the only thing they had as an example was the, the drag queens, you know, as far as performing. Sure. And we are drag queens. So for me. And you worked with RuPaul in the past. Oh, yeah. I did drag. I've done drag before. And yeah. I, yeah, I've worked with RuPaul. I've, I've done, you know, shows in drag where I was paid really well to just be a drag, you know, performer. But we don't do drag at AJSF. All the girls are transgender. And so it's a different mentality. They are, I treat them and they are women. So I treat them as women. I, I, the things that they worry about are not the same things that cis dancers worry about. Um, you know, did you have like an initial moment when you first started working with the community that you were bringing some of your drag back, you know, your work before to the, to the table where they were like, you know, we're not doing drag here and that you had to check yourself or, uh, you know, I actually did not have a big thing on that. Um, I did know that they were worried about the way they were going to be perceived if they performed certain material. I wasn't as worried about that because the material that I was giving them was something that I would have given any girl. So it, it, I never thought like that, which, but to their detriment, they thought I had that mentality. They thought, oh, well, you want us to do it like this. And I was like, no, I want to teach you how to do it like a real woman and not like a, a drag queen, and I definitely not as a boy. So I'm trying to figure out, I was always trying to figure out how they thought and how they approached everything. Well, and, and the one thing I know about you, Ronnie, in the one time you choreographed me, I think the one time for my 40th birthday, is you're really good with working with, you're a professional dancer, a professional director, choreographer, Often, I'm assuming many of these trans performers are not dancers, but yeah. they're they can perform. I know when you work with me, I'm not a professional dancer, I dance. You really can take somebody and bring so much out of them 
to make them look the best. And I'm assuming that's how you approach working with this community. Yeah, that is exactly it. I really just approached it with each individual person and working with their strengths and, and making sure that they were able to come through as the person, not like the next girl, not like this girl, but you know, bringing out their strength. But they have to trust too. And, and this community is not very forgiving or forthcoming with trust. Yeah. So it was really, and again, I wanna say this, San Francisco and Palm Springs are like night and day. They're, they're two different performers right now. Uh, San Francisco can be, in my words, a little complacent. Um, I don't think they take enough challenges or enough, um, they, they don't extend themselves very much. They don't, they're scared to take a chance. They're worried about what the other girl thinks. Palm Springs is totally opposite. These girls have performed before. Um, a lot of them performed in drag shows and I had to kind of reprogram their thinking with that. But because they had the performance background, they were able to come out and do exactly what I asked them to do. And once they started receiving the accolades that they were getting, they were like, wow, this is really work. I mean, it, it's emotional. It's, 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 uh, it's a celebratory. It's celebratory. It's all of those things that you cry, you smile, you laugh. It's very warm. You get goosebumps just watching the Pump Springs girls. I mean, they are so good at the material that I've given them and the direction that I've pushed them in. Um, and all the, the shablams and all the drama and antics, we don't do any of that. That's drag. That, that's not something that I see a real woman, especially if she's in a $4,000 gown. Why would she sublam to the floor? It doesn't make any sense. So <laughs> I, I treat them as if I'm working with a J-Lo or a Janet or, you know, okay. as an artist. I treat them like artists. So, Ronnie, real quick before I let you go, because we got to go. Um, yeah. What do you want people, as you're in Palm Springs right now, when can we expect at post-COVID-19. Are we going to get an opening soon? What tidbits <laughs> can you tell us? Well, I, I can't be definite on anything. I'm hoping Pump Spring comes back. Um, we have everything in place to come back. Um, I would love to start doing some, um, maybe some, some sort of small, like, live shows that I can start featuring just so people know yes. still there. Um, and that way they would be able to tip the girls and or, yeah. you know, or donate, whatever, because anything would help at this point with, you know, because everybody's kind of out there trying to make it. So I would I would love to start doing some of those. Um, San Francisco will probably open up. Uh, it's being retrofitted right now. So once all that is cleaned up, hopefully we'll get started back in San Francisco and Palm Springs. I am praying because it was such an experience and there's nothing else like what we did here. And I'm hoping that it's able to come back the same, if not better. We have a pool and cabanas and I mean, it's amazing. So I, I, I'm hoping it comes back because people need to experience it. You and me both, Ronnie yeah. Reddick. I'm such a fan, I love you. You can follow you at, at Ronnie Red, R-E-D-D, -D, correct? On yeah. uh, Instagram. And thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. And Thanks. keep us posted so that we can, we'll continue to promote when you guys open and everything else. Yeah, and then if I ever decide to do a podcast, you can come in and help me out. I would love to. I would love to. 
And just a reminder that if you're listening to this episode, you can watch this episode where you'll where I recorded these interviews on the Zoom platform, and you can see Ronnie and my uh, my next guest, who I'm about to introduce, Corey Harmon, who's been on the show um, on Tags Podcast in earlier seasons, and of course my co-host on Sex with Stevie, Cody Maurice Doggett. Enjoy this interview, and don't forget you can watch this on our YouTube channel. Go to youtube.com forward slash tags podcast. Well, I'm really excited today to be with two people that I've hung out with. They both start with a K, my co-host, Cody Doggett. Cody Maurice Doggett, how you doing? Thank you. I'm doing well. How are you doing? Really good. Corey Harmon, how you doing? Corey's been on the show before. Yeah, it's, uh, it's back in season one. <laughs> exactly. Season one, yes, exactly. OG. Yeah, OG, exactly. Yeah. Well, I really wanted you guys on. This is a special that I'm doing on race and sexuality. It's Pride Month, and I couldn't think of two people who I've hung out with several times to get into it with me. Um, first and foremost, though, before we get into some of the detailed stuff of how we view uh, sexuality, race and sexuality in our community today. Um, I was wondering if maybe you guys could share a little bit if you've ever experienced racism growing as a kid, at growing up. Um, Cody, why don't we start with you? Oh, definitely. Um, so I moved around a bunch when I was a kid. I lived in Kansas, which is not the most progressive state in the world, but um, there you have it. Um, I was jogging. My most like prevalent in my mind memory is I was jogging. Um, I was in like late middle school and I, it was late at night and I got called a nigger, the N word, sorry, <laughs> while I was jogging. And I just turned around and ran back home. And it makes me, I associate that with things that have happened today. And like, I could have been dead. You just never know what can happen. And it's so crazy because those early memories like that have, I think, I think have such a psychological impression on us so much so, you know, that it, you'd carry it with you all these years. And I can totally only imagine what that felt like. Um, yeah. It was traumatic. Very. Uh, yeah. It's very. Corey, how about you? What's one of your earliest memories? Um, it's funny you mentioned that. I went, my parents, um, I'm from Staten Island. I went to see them with uh, my husband on Friday and I, I told the story of the first time I was called the, the n-word and my mother had never heard this story um I was six years old it was in a church they were doing uh I think either bible study or choir practice and I was in this group called uh, organization called Royal Rangers and this white boy is sitting in the ne- the desk next to me or across from me and I still remember his eyes were low he had a bowl cut and he's sitting so nonchalantly and nonchalantly, and he looks at me and he's like, "Nigger." I'm like, "What?" Wow. And I I posted about it um, when the protest started that you never forget the first time someone calls you the N word. And I'm about to be 37, so 30 years later I still remember it. Yeah, it hits you like a ton of bricks for sure. It's, I wasn't going to go there right so quickly, but Cody, um, 
a while back when we first met, we were, I think it was after Gay Pride, we were all in a conversation here in my apartment talking just about um, that topic of, uh, I think it was a, a group, like a music artist had pulled up, an African-American artist pulled up somebody from the audience. It happened to be a girl in this case. Kendrick and Lamar. It was Kendrick. Kendrick. Yeah. yeah. And we got into the discussion because he pulled this girl, a white girl up, and she started doing the lyrics, like singing back to Kendrick. And one of his lyrics is with the N-word, and she actually mm -hmm. said the word, and he called, he actually, but it's, so it's a lyric in, it's a word in his, that he actually says in his song, but a white girl that he brought up came on stage and sang it back to him, like, and he was putting the microphone in her face type deal, and, he actually called her out on it and, and centered, you know, down. And I think she was crying and stuff like that. And we, we all got into a conversation with a bunch of us, Cody, right? And yeah, and it brought up a lot of things. And I learned a lot in that conversation, I have to say, on how it's, I mean, I knew it wasn't right. I would, couldn't even imagine <laughs> ever, ever. <laughs> but I think the, the conversation came because what it's a lyric within this artist's music he pulled her up at what point um i already know how you feel cody about it because you stated but just curious corey what do you think it was the right thing to do for kendrick to say uh-uh get off um well um, first of all i'm not a fan of the word in general i don't use it in my vocabulary but i'm not i'm not the vocabulary police so i have friends who use it who are black and they know not to refer to me with that word but I don't care if they use it around me. Um, most people who are not black who listen to hip hop tend to know that if they're gonna recite the lyrics, you say, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> there are so many words that can replace that word. I'm just like, brother, I'm here to let people know if they wanna, if they want a word to replace the N word, come, to, come talk to me, I got you. <laughs> yeah, I, in high school, um, when I didn't know anything. Um, I would say it a lot. And then I was uh, joined a, a club called African Culture Club. And um, it got to the point where our teacher like really hit us with, you know, why we shouldn't be saying it. So then I started saying ninja instead of, <laughs> but then I, you know, I got them, like, if I say ninja, is that cultural appropriate? appropriation of Japanese culture. <laughs> now I just the avoid more you it. know. Now you just avoid it. Yeah, probably a good, a good or go see Cody and he'll, he'll tell you what's up. Um, I got a long list, so yeah. I won't waste our time. <laughs> I want to move on to when the first times you guys ever went out. I was telling a story just as a Latino man when I first started going out and as a kid, I got called things like Beaner and Dark Darky because I as all these names. And I was telling the story on one of my shows recently that when I finally did go out as a young 20-year-old in San Francisco, that photographers all of a sudden wanted to shoot me. And the same person, the same color skin, but now I felt like they wanted to put me on their club rags. And now I felt like I was, well, I can look at it now. In some ways, I felt like I was exoticized. I'm just mm -hmm. curious, the first times you guys as black gentlemen going out, did you ever feel, what was that first experience in the gay community when you went out, when you may have felt kind of 
racism or, or were you like welcomed in and no one really saw that? Cody, do you want to go first? Um, hmm. When I was like fetishized, kind of, sort of. Or just like when you first started going out, what's an example of the first time that maybe somebody or did, did you ever notice anybody, you know, was there any racial bias when mm, you started okay. going out as gay? Okay. Um, well, I, my sexual awakening was in Virginia. And again, it's the, it's the South. Um, so I grew up with a lot of like, not really segregation, but just like, you know, blacks over here, whites over here. Um, and there was some intermingling. Um, I, I got a lot of the preference people like, oh, this is just a preference. Oh, I don't date black people because of a preference. And my um, com combat for that now, I didn't know how to combat it back then, um, is like, where did that preference come from? It comes from systemic racism, basically. So um, You're talking about, say, even like, say, on the apps, when people say, oh, I know fans, no blacks, that type no of No blacks, thing. no Asians, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Corey? Um, going out, I never really experienced it too much because I went to a lot of places that were predominantly um, people of color, mostly Black and Latino places like uh, Crash and Escalita and uh, uh, so many other places that are now closed. Um, but like on the apps and on websites from back in the day like men for now and adam for adam oh all the time i would get oh what are you because i like even now people think i'm dominican but i would tell the like oh we're from latin america are you from and i'm like i'm black and immediately the minute i say i'm black they're no longer interested <laughs> yeah or um one one instance i hooked up with this dude that i met at the gym and the first time was great. We did it again. But the second time, he's like, oh, I just love your beautiful brown skin. And I, it made me feel icky. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what? Like you're and in an in, in Indian RE song or something. Yeah. Or the subject. <laughs> yeah. And I was just like, I don't know how I'm supposed to feel about this. I, and I was young. I was like 20. And like now I get it. Now I'm like, wow, I'm just this figure like i'm just the bbc which is no longer acceptable y'all we don't accept that anymore bbc True. okay because no one's no one's Educate referring me. to no one is saying any other type of ethnic background in, re in reference to someone's penis no one says bwc got it. big black cop. i see yes. for india like no one says that yeah. they only do it for black people yeah so we're not accepting bbc anymore you could say big dick you can say big penis, big cock, whatever. What take, about this? Take the skin color out. What about this? Because sometimes I get people, in fact, recently I had somebody say, oh, I love your smooth skin. Um, and I mean, that's just a fact, I guess. And part of me is not mad at it because I do have smooth skin, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I guess sometimes, or, but I do have had people tell me, you know, oh, you've got such great coloring. Is that at all what you're talking about when you were talking about your brown skin it it's it's how it was said it, okay. it just it made it he said it in such a way that it was so 
objectifying that it made me feel gross. Like there's a difference between saying, oh, you have such a great skin tone or your skin is so smooth. What do you use versus, oh, I just love your beautiful brown skin. Like it sounds creepy. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know it sounds like tone is everything. And we've all heard terms like, you know, you know, I've always been with guys throughout the years where you know that they only date Latin guys and you're just, is it, is there any difference in me or is it just the fact that I'm Latin that you're interested in me? And so yeah. that can definitely be a deciding factor too. Um, I want to move on to how creative the two of you really are in so many different ways. Um, Cody being a really phenomenal singer and Corey, you recently yeah. for Mr. Rock Leather. Bear, bear. <laughs> uh, I always get that wrong. What is it? Mr. Rock Bear 2019. Mr. Rock Bear 2019. Okay, well, I'm just curious. Let's start with you, Cody. Um, as a singer and pursuing your career in singing, have you experienced any racial bias in that area when you've either gone out for castings or just putting out your work? Um, I would say it's more of the gay part of it, the gay portion of it, like being a soul singer and like not wanting to come across as feminine. Um, it happened with Luther, it happened, I think the only person it didn't happen to was uh, Sylvester, we were talking about Sylvester the other day. Yeah, <laughs> who I was listening to this morning, yeah. Oh, okay, yes, make me feel mighty real. Um, so, yes. um, so yeah that, a lot of that like having to come across as not gay not being fully expressed myself and in, in my as uh as a gay person as a gay man my sexuality completely i've gotten a lot of that so um i can't really say that uh i've experienced like racism in my pursuit of uh, becoming a music star because a, a, a musician <laughs> because the, the venues that I go to are normally predominantly black, like Corey was saying before. So. But it's interesting when you just say the fact that being gay, I, we all know that, heaven forbid, for so many years, you can't be black and gay. Yeah, it's like two strikes. Yeah, right. And so I <laughs> yeah. could see where that could come up, particularly in, what, castings and such? Yeah, 100%. And... Um, yeah, I, I've taken note of where um, actors and musicians have, have gotten almost blacklisted because they, they, are, they are out now. So and they don't get as many roles or as many offers as they would if they, if they weren't out, so, which is a shame. Because right, like the, the human experience and what they can bring to a role is not about that only. It's about what their humanity so right yeah um corey it seems in the time i've known you and being mr rock bear 2019 you've gone sort of your own path and w would you say that the leather community in a lot of ways has really just embraced ethnic diversity and and, and so um well uh, in light of everything that's currently going on there have been a lot of call outs within the leather community really um, with honestly within every community like yeah right i think with the pandemic hitting and then the murder of george floyd and and then the protests everyone being stuck at home were like mm, i'm gonna show my true colors and they're and then they're shocked like 
oh my God, people are screenshotting this and they're calling me out. What do I do? And I'm just, it's upsetting, but I'd rather know about it than not know that, you know, someone at my table is secretly racist. I hear you, um, what we all know of different, you know, you and I have been in the leather community up for several years now. And there's yeah. several, there's groups like the Onyx group, for example, which really represents, it's, it's ethnic diverse, it's a, right? African-American yeah. mostly. It, it's a leather fraternity for um, black, black and Latino men of color. Um, they have several different uh, chapters across the entire country. Right. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not a member, I'm just a friend. <laughs> But uh, sometimes we have to make our own spaces. And in this situation with Onyx, their space hasn't been allowed to continue without so much scrutiny from white people. <laughs> As there shouldn't be, but yeah. Um, and I mean, yeah. you'd be surprised. We make a space and then all of a sudden it's, well, why can't we come? co-opted yeah you didn't want us in your space so we did our own and now you want to come in ours i'm just curious before we move on uh corey did you at all when you won that title did you feel any responsibility or or pride as a black man in the leather community or did because it was new york you didn't even think of that you were just really proud um not so much for the leather community but more so for just the bar itself for rock bar because i was I am still uh, the first Mr. Rock Bear, my, uh, my sash son, um, Jay. I love him to death. Uh, he is Puerto Rican, so we're still keeping like that tradition going, but I'm the only one who's been black. And uh, during my title year, my purpose was to make sure that everyone felt welcome, regardless of their skin color. But I, want, I, I wanted to see more black and brown bodies in the bar. And it happened. We are, my husband and I, Ted, we have a party there, which hopefully will be coming back soon. And the last one was in February and there were so many people there and there were so many black and brown bodies in there and everybody was just vibing, having fun, dancing. They're in the dark room, they're getting drinks. And I said, this is, this is what it should be about. <laughs> I love it, I love it. Cody, we're gonna have to make sure we make it when, they, when bars open. I know, up. right? Yep, yeah, I can't wait. Our black and brown asses in there. Um, <laughs> um, I want to end on just relationships. And I know, Corey, you're in, are you married now or engaged? Met, uh, our one year marriage anniversary will be in September. Ne Congratulations. That's awesome. Um, I'm just curious, Ted is white or? He's white passing Puerto Rican. White, <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> and prior to that, did you date uh, Latin? I, did you, it didn't matter. I mean, my my ex was also Puerto Rican, but I would I dated whoever I found attractive and or interesting. Yeah, because while I was single, I went on a couple dates with several different types of guys. I've been an equal opportunity as well. I've really had an. I love. Yeah. All, I think though, for me personally, when for years and years and talk about what you guys both talked about examples um, being called the n-word um, even for me there was a lot of things that I had to overcome that I'm still can recall just being called beaner and darky and that 
did play a lot on me. And for years, for a long time, uh, oh, did we lose court? Oh, we didn't, I thought just, we lost it. Yeah. Just, it shut off for a second. For a long time, I think I wanted to, when I was a kid, be white almost and like scrub the brownness off. And I had to really, uh, through college, I took Chicano studies and I hung out with um, almost only Latinos. I went the other extreme and I marched in Indigenous Peoples Day. And I found myself drawn to Latinos um, as I'm older. But again, I'm open to all. Um, it's just interesting how a lot of those early examples can really affect your mental state. If you don't do the work, they can have a large impact. Cody, I'm just curious with you, um, the types of relationships you've been in um, that, you know, do you have a type that goes only for other black men or are you open? I mean, I know the answer. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I am, I'm half Puerto Rican. So I grew up around like, Puerto Ricans all all day every day so that was my I think when you grow up around a certain type of person and a certain look that's what you are uh, that's what you're attracted to first and then as time goes by you well for me I can't speak for everybody you open up your you broaden your horizons and that's where I feel like I am now I'm it's like come one come all basically <laughs> emphasis so. on the first word <laughs> but come correct come correct okay yes i i yeah. wholeheartedly agree with that yeah so the the last guy i dated um that we talked about uh on the on the live show he he was asian so i'm yeah and he's beautiful to me so he still is <laughs> that's funny it's funny you know, one of my first long-term boyfriends of all time, we're best friends to this day, um, is Chinese American. And for the longest time, I could always remember people would see me and they'd I didn't know you were into Chinese guys or Asian. And I thought, well, I'm into him. <laughs> if that yeah. makes sense. <laughs> you know? And you get, and I'm hoping some of that changes that you don't, just because you see somebody with somebody doesn't mean, I didn't know you're into short guys or into tall guys or into, you know. It seems yeah. absurd, absurd to me that you can say that you're not attracted to an entire race or type of person. It, it just, it doesn't connect with me. So I, no, I, I really don't understand it, so. Yeah. Cody, Maurice, Daggett, and Corey, is it Nieves, Harmon? Nieves Harmon. Nieves Harmon. I want to cheers you both. Thank you for sharing. Cheers. Cheers, guys. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. This has been awesome. Really. Thank you. And I'll put where everybody can follow you um, on 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 this video. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, love. Well, I want to thank my guests on this episode. We will continue this conversation, but I definitely want to thank my guests, Ronnie Reddick, as well as Corey Harmon, and of course, my co-host on Sex with Stevie, Cody Maurice Doggett. You can join me live and every Thursday night for Sex with Stevie. It's a live show from 10 to 11 p.m. Eastern Time on the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash tags podcast. I hope to see you there because it's a call-in show. It's a lot of fun. I have some special guests calling in, but you can call in or comment in and weigh in or ask for solicited sex advice questions or just say hi and we will get to you. I want to thank all my guests again and I continue being safe and healthy. 
I will see you soon.